Section 8 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 1, Chapter 8. The rest of that evening Eugene spent not exactly with, but near Miss Blue, Miss Angela Blue, as he found her name to be. He was interested in her, not so much from the point of view of looks, though she was charming enough, but because of some peculiarity of temperament which lingered with him as a grateful taste might dwell on the palate. He thought her young and was charmed by what he considered her innocence and unsophistication. As a matter of fact, she was not so much young and unsophisticated as an unconscious simulator of simplicity. In the conventional sense, she was a thoroughly good girl, loyal, financially honest, truthful in all commonplace things, and thoroughly virtuous, moreover, in that she considered marriage and children the fate and duty of all women. Having had so much trouble with other people's children, she was not anxious to have any, or at least many, of her own. Of course, she did not believe that she would escape with what seemed to be any such good fortune. She fancied that she would be like her sisters, the wife of a good business or professional man, the mother of three or four or five healthy children, the keeper of an ideal middle-class home, the handmaiden of her husband's needs. There was a deep current of passion in her, which she had come to feel would never be satisfied. No man would ever understand, no man at least whom she was likely to meet, but she knew she had a great capacity to love. If someone would only come along and arouse that, be worthy of it, what a whirlwind of affection she would return to him. How she would love, how sacrifice! But it seemed now that her dreams were destined never to be fulfilled, because so much time had slipped by and she had not been courted by the right one. So here she was now, at twenty-five, dreaming and longing, the object of her ideals thus accidentally brought before her, and no immediate consciousness that that was the case. It does not take sexual affinity long to manifest itself, once its subjects are brought near to each other. Eugene was older in certain forms of knowledge, broader in a sense, potentially greater than she would ever comprehend, but nevertheless swayed helplessly by emotion and desire. Her own emotions, though perhaps stronger than his, were differently aroused. The stars, the night, a lovely scene, any exquisite attribute of nature could fascinate him to the point of melancholy. With her, nature in its largest aspects passed practically unnoticed. She responded to music feelingly, as did Eugene. In literature, only realism appealed to him. For her, sentiment, strained though not necessarily unreal, had the greatest charm. Art in its purely aesthetic forms meant nothing at all to her. To Eugene, it was the last word in the matter of emotional perception. History, philosophy, logic, psychology were sealed books to her. To Eugene, they were already open doors, or better yet, flowery paths of joy down which he was wandering. Yet in spite of these things, they were being attracted towards each other. And there were other differences. With Eugene, convention meant nothing at all. And his sense of evil and good was something which the ordinary person would not have comprehended. He was prone to like all sorts and conditions of human beings, the intellectual, the ignorant, the clean, the dirty, the gay, the sorrowful, white, yellow, black. As for Angela, 
she had a distinct preference for those who conducted themselves according to given standards of propriety she was brought up to think of those people as best who worked the hardest denied themselves the most and conformed to the ordinary notions of right and wrong there was no questioning of current standards in her mind as it was written socially and ethically upon the tables of law so was it there might be charming characters outside the pale but they were not admitted to association or sympathy to eugene a human being was a human being the ruck of misfits or ne'er-do-wells he could laugh joyously with or at it was all wonderful beautiful amusing even its grimness and tragedy were worthwhile although they hurt him terribly at times why under these circumstances he should have been so thoroughly attracted to angela remains a mystery perhaps they complimented each other at this time as a satellite compliments a larger luminary for eugene's egoism required praise sympathy feminine coddling and angela caught fire from the warmth and geniality of his temperament on the train next day eugene had nearly three hours of what he deemed most delightful talk with her they had not journeyed far before he had told her how he had travelled this way on this train at this hour two years before how he had walked about the streets of the big city looking for a place to sleep how he had got work and stayed away until he felt that he had found himself now he was going to study art and then to new york or paris and do magazine illustrating and possibly paint pictures he was truly your flamboyant youth of talent when he got to talking when he had a truly sympathetic ear he loved to boast to someone who really admired him and he felt that he had admiration here angela looked at him with swimming eyes he was really different from anything she had ever known young artistic imaginative ambitious he was going out into a world which she had longed for but never hoped to see that of art he was telling her of his prospective art studies and talking of paris what a wonderful thing as the train neared chicago she explained that she would have to make an almost immediate connection with one which left over the chicago milwaukee and st paul for blackwood she was a little lonely to tell the truth a little sick at heart for the summer vacation was over and she was going back to teach school alexandria for the two weeks she had been there visiting mrs king formerly a blackwood girl and school-day chum of hers was lovely her girlhood friend had tried to make things most pleasant and now it was all over even eugene was over for he said nothing much of seeing her again or had not so far she was wishing she might see more of this world he painted in such glowing colors when he said mr bangs said that you come down to chicago every now and then i do she replied i sometimes come down to go to the theatres and shop she did not say that there was an element of practical household commercialism in it for she was considered one of the best buyers in the family and she was sent to buy by various members of the family in quantities from a practical household point of view she was a thoroughbred and was valued by her sisters and friends as someone who loved to do things she might have come to be merely a family pack-horse solely because she loved the work it was instinct to do everything she did thoroughly but she worked almost exclusively in minor household matters how soon do you expect to come down again he asked oh i can't tell i sometimes come down when opera is on in the winter i may be here around thanksgiving 
Not before that? I don't think so, she replied archly. That's too bad. I thought maybe I'd see you a few times this fall. When you do come, I wish you'd let me know. I'd like to take you to the theater. Eugene spent precious little money on any entertainment, but he thought he could venture this. She would not be down often. Then, too, he had the notion that he might get a rise one of these days. That would make a difference. When she came again, he would be in art school, opening up another field for himself. Life looked hopeful. That's so nice of you, she replied, and when I come, I'll let you know. I'm just a country girl, she added, with a toss of her head, and I don't get to the city very often. Eugene liked what he considered the guileless naivety of her confessions, the frankness with which she owned up to simplicity and poverty. Most girls didn't. She almost made a virtue of these things, at least. They were charming as a confession in her. I'll hold you to that, he assured her. Oh, you needn't. I'll be glad to let you know. They were nearing the station. He forgot for the moment that she was not as remote and delicate in her beauty as Stella, that she was apparently not as passionate temperamentally as Margaret. He saw her wonderfully dull hair and her thin lips and peculiar blue eyes and admired her honesty and simplicity. He picked up her grip and helped her to find her train. When they came to part, he pressed her hand warmly, for she had been very nice to him, so attentive and sympathetic and interested. Now remember, he said gaily, after he had put her in her seat in the local, I won't forget. You won't mind if I wrote you now and then. Not at all. I'd like it. Then I will, he said, and went out. He stood outside and looked at her through the train window as it pulled out. He was glad to have met her. This was the right sort of girl, clean, honest, simple, attractive. That was the way the best women were, good and pure, not wild pieces of fire like Margaret, nor unconscious, indifferent beauties like Stella. He was going to add, but couldn't. There was a voice within him that said that artistically Stella was perfect, and even now it hurt him a little to remember. But Stella was gone forever. There was no doubt about that. During the days that followed, he thought of the girl often. He wondered what sort of town Blackwood was, what sort of people she moved with, what sort of a house she lived in. They must be nice, simple people like his own in Alexandria. These types of city-bred people whom he saw, girls particularly, and those born to wealth, had no appeal to him as yet. They were too distant, too far removed from anything he could aspire to. A good woman, such as Miss Blue, obviously was, must be, a treasure anywhere in the world. He kept thinking he would write to her. He had no other girl acquaintance now, and just before he entered art school he did this, penning a little note saying that he remembered so pleasantly their ride, and when was she coming. Her answer, after a week, was that she expected to be in the city about the middle or the end of October, and that she would be glad to have him call. She gave him the number of an aunt who lived out on the north side in Ohio Street, and said she would notify him further. She was hard at work teaching school now, and didn't even have time to think of the lovely summer she had had. Poor little girl, he thought. She deserved a better fate. When she comes, I'll surely look her up, he thought. And there was a lot that went with the idea. Such wonderful hair. End of section 8